Welcome everyone to another episode of the security podcast in Silicon Valley. Today I'm joined by Anders Eckert from Styra. Thanks, John. It's great to be here. Anders brings to the table uh, a lot of great experience. I always love like non-traditional backgrounds. And so to help our listeners out a little bit, do you want to explain what Styra is as a company and that open source project that's behind it? Yeah, sure. So Styra is the founders of the open source project, the open policy agent or OPA, which is, which is an open source general purpose policy engine. So basically it works, but based on policy you provide it, you ask it questions and it gives you back answers. There's an Oracle in that way, an Oracle, a policy-based Oracle providing decisions and answers to whatever questions users or services or other types of clients might have. So policy commonly determine whether like a piece of infrastructure can be deployed to a, to an environment, whether a user should be allowed to do action X or Y in some environment or in some system, or whether a Kubernetes resource could be deployed to a cluster based on any data provided as part of the input, which is often the resource itself, but it could be basically any kind of data, like the time of the day or the weather outside or whatever you can imagine. That's pretty much what uh, OPA does. Thank you so much for that. And OPA, just so our listeners know, is entirely open source. You can deploy the entire stack yourself. It has a great developer community behind it that dri helps drive it forward. Uh, so you get the advantage of a full-time developer team with none of the overhead just for that one component. And everyone there is excited to do the right thing. I know that I've contributed just a little bit to OPA in a past life. I, yeah, uh, right. yeah no, I, when I was at uh, Pure Storage, we actually used OPA to help us, to help make our systems decide whether or not someone had the authentication and authorization to access specific production machines. And we wanted to drive all of that with a policy. And so the of open course. policy, yeah. And so the open policy agent lended itself really nicely. Uh, to that use case and we ended up building it and it fit really nicely with our rest of our integration. And then after we had done all of that with the, just that open source project, we noticed that there was a company behind it, Styro. And at which point we saw the demo, we saw the GUI, we saw all of the testing features and the change lifecycle management that's get stuffed into Styro. And I, I ended up leaving pure storage before that discussion ended it. But I remember being really impressed and I wasn't expecting it and had nothing but, uh, great things to, to say about the engineers that I did have a chance to work with over in Styra. Nice. Yeah, I can, I'm obviously biased, but you're biased, but I'm a little bit less biased because I have no stake in Styra. So yeah, I, I just wanted to share, share yeah, that what story. I can say is my, my story is, is pretty similar. I used to work for a company, Bisnode which was a big like provider of data to various like governments, governments, organizations and, and corporations. And we were kind of out there looking for some way to solve authorization. We had a, a distributed environment, like pretty much all environments are days. So we had about six or 700 services and we wanted to solve authorization in a unified manner. We didn't want like the way we did it before was pretty much each team came up with their own way of you know, solving authorization. Some ways were better than others, of course, but 
eventually they were all different, which made it really hard to work together across team boundaries and so on. And more importantly, it made it pretty much impossible to audit what what was going on because these authorization decisions, they tended to get logged. Sometimes they got logged, sometimes not. And when they got logged, yeah, whatever other logs were uh, published or sent, which differed uh, between all the teams and all the components, there wasn't a way to audit, uh, which was like a, a hard requirement for us. Then we traveled down to Spain that summer. I think that was KubeCon EU, mm-hmm. which is incidentally in Spain this year as well. So we got down there and it wasn't for the purpose of finding an authorization engine, but that was really what we did. That's uh, where we kind of opened up our eyes to OPA. So we got back, did a little proof of concept. We implemented authorization for a few microservices and then we just rolled from there. And uh, then once we had that in place, we, we saw, okay, we can use this for Kubernetes as well. We can use this for infrastructure. We could use this for so much more. Those could just grew from there. And yeah, eventually I too found out about Styra because after a while, like our OPA cluster or our clusters of OPAs running in our environment just grew and grew. So eventually we found that like, we are going to need some way of, of, of managing this across like this large environment. So we yeah, either we build something or we'll see if there's something better out there. And that, that's pretty much how I found out about Styra. And uh, yeah, worked with them for a while. We eventually, we kind of got on board as a customer and, uh, yeah, I guess I had too much fun. So eventually <laughs> it was like the grass was greener on this side of, of that. So here I am. Amazing. So we basically have the same story, except you ended up working for them. Yeah. And you're not yet. Yes. Okay. I like the enthusiasm. I appreciate that. And that's, that's awesome. Do we think of Styra as a security company or, or is it more of B2B change lifecycle management company? Maybe those are the same sorts of things. A security company is a life cycle. Yeah. Yeah. I guess there's no like clear cut definite. Yeah. At least I tend to to think of us as a security company. I do too. Yeah, I do too. I really see that it's in your DNA. It's in the experiences that I had with your developers in the open source project. And I know for myself, security has always been a great passion, but maybe you'd be willing to share your story of how you got into security. Yeah, for sure. So the first, it was actually, I've been to this company Bisnode twice. The first time I was there, I was in a team where, where our like, uh, task or main objective was to provide an identity solution for the company. And so, yeah, we kind of got involved in all these standards uh, around identity, like OAuth and OpenID Connect, the SKIM standard for like user provisioning and so on. And eventually I, I got involved in, and I started working for a vendor in the, the identity space and that's security, which is uh, kind of a, a little witty, witty name and they have like security and it's, they're very heavy on, on the Java or on Java. So they have, and in Java, when you provide like a package name, you have these kind of reverse way of, of specifying a URL 
since it's a Swedish company, it's SE, it's the country code. So it's SE.curity. Oh, uh, that's cute. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Someone gave that a lot of thought. So for our listeners, this is spelled C-U-R-I-T-Y, Curity. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So it's S-E-Curity. So I, I, w I spent almost two years there working with all these standards, learning the ropes around identity and so on. But an interesting aspect of identity, and I think like for most of these identity companies is that they're very like, they're very strictly scoped to identity. Mm -hmm. And whenever we'd have customers who were asking like, okay, so now we have this token, we got like a JSON web token or some, or something to prove identity. What do we do with that? That's obviously authorization. And we were all like, nah, that's really not our concern or that's not our business. Eventually I got curious, like, what if it was my concern or what if, what are people doing with these tokens or how are they, how do you solve the authorization problem? So I kind of planted something that eventually led me here. So let's talk about like the problems that these two companies are solving just a little bit. The authentication problem. I always think of that as the answer to the question, who are you? There's yeah, that's just, right. I should just like one, one answer to that question. And if you're authenticated a user, it's usually goes back to a person, but you can also do that for a service or a, even a, a particular device or an instance in the cloud or a node on Kubernetes or, or whatever. It's like the answer to the question, who are you? And then yeah. the other question, the other problem is the authorization or sometimes called authorz for short. And what's that one? Yeah, that's a good question. Like I've been here now for a while, but it's part of, it's part of the fun, like identity. Again, it's pretty strictly scoped, but it's also very well defined. You have all these standards to, to your like disposal mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, while authorization for so long, it's been like, there's been really no standards. There's been no, like none of these big vendors in the security space have really cared for that until a few years ago. So it's yeah. been like the wild, it's been like the wild west pretty much where like as com compared to identity, where everything is like super well-defined, there are standards everywhere and you, you don't really deviate from those standards. So in, in that sense, like it's great to work with standards, but they're also limiting in terms of creativity and yeah. Yeah. Sure. Because of auth Z is the answer to the question, what can you do? I often find that those are business driven. And so that's why I think OPA is pretty powerful because you have your own internal definition of what a policy is and you can, you, you just throw it into GitHub and now you have your change management under control for your policies. You can go back in time and see like what decisions were made for what groups of folks, not just individual folks. If you want to make decisions based on individual folks, you can do that, but it's all just a policy at that point. And it, the policy says whether or not you're allowed to do something or not. Like you mentioned in the beginning in Oracle. Yeah, for sure. But I, th I think while your identity, that's pretty much, it doesn't really change if you move across organizations, like your identity is pretty much, like you said, who you are, maybe what position you're in the company, maybe some roles mm -hmm. and so on. But on the authorization side or the policy side, that's all 
there's really no rules there. It's all, it's all determined by that organization or whoever is going to designs that authorization system. So it's often, it's way more flexible. It's way, it's way easier to do it wrong as well, because there, there aren't really these guidelines for how to do it. I think, yeah, OPA tries to be, or tries to provide, or doesn't try to hinder this really, but allows you to have your policies reflect on the needs of your organization or the needs of your team. So whether it's uh, good or bad, there's uh, certainly, there's certainly room for mistakes compared to having a strict standard to follow. So OPA is that you have this policy language, it's called Rego. So you define your policies. Oh, it's called Rego. Oh, I've been saying it wrong all of these. I've been calling it Rego. Yeah. I'm, I'm so happy that you have corrected me. I actually did that too. So uh, someone corrected me, but yeah, it, it's apparently pronounced Rego. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's a, is it a, is it a Swedish word? It's not. Oh, Styra is though. Styra, that oh, Styra is a Swedish word. Yeah. Oh. It, yeah, it definitely is. It's one of the founders of Styra. It's like Finnish origins. And uh-huh. he, they took that word with him when he founded a company. So it's pronounced Styra in Swedish, which means pretty much steering or to govern or to, to steer. That's really appropriate. It's really appropriate. I love that too. But Reiko is actually the reason, is the reason that, you know, we jumped on OPA back in pure storage. That's where the, all that flexibility comes from. Yeah. It's really flexible and it's designed to model the way you talk about a real world policy or a policy is basically a set of rules, which is. Obviously it's, that's what a policy is in, in the real world too. So you define these rules and based on data that you have available or like organizational, uh, rules or so on. And then you query OPA for decisions based on these rules. So you might say something like I'm, uh, this user is a doctor trying to access like the medical journals of this patient, should this be allowed or an OPA will provide that decision. So OPA itself doesn't do enforcement. So it, it doesn't really do anything with that later. It just tells you, this is my decision and now you do what you want with that. So the way you choose to enforce that's obviously that's going to be highly context specific. So, uh, but it's, it's a nice separation of, of responsibilities. I have this philosophy in engineering, just in general for systems. Any systems that can be separate should be separate. And so I really uh, always appreciated the separation of here's where the decision is made. And then what you do with it is your, is higher level business, whether you want to block an incoming API request or not sign a token or print an error message or even display different things like it, it doesn't really matter. And the nice thing about centralizing where all of those decisions are made is that you get consistent decisions across your entire ecosystem. Yeah. And, and let me tell you, that is a difficult thing to do when you have an org of 50 or more engineers and everyone is heads down trying to meet their deadlines and making great contributions to your ecosystem of, of software. If you're writing software, you don't want 50 different types of decisions being made in 50 different types of ways, all trying to get the same sort of behavior you want. One 
thing that's going to help everyone make the decisions that they need to make in their business logic. An, an awesome tool to help sort of corral everyone in an org, the paved road. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. On that same topic of separating concerns and separating responsibilities, like another like, core tenant of OPA is of course the decoupling of the policies themselves and the kind of life cycle of the policies that you kind of break out of your applications and move elsewhere so that you, yeah, for example, you can deploy updates to policy without, without having to recompile or redeploy your applications. So the policy life cycle is kept separate from, from that of your application code, which is another great benefit when you start to see like hundreds of services or thousands of services. And that was always a pain point for us before when I used to work in integrating authorization. Yeah, I could imagine. I've had very similar pain points myself too. So maybe you would be uh, kind enough to share with us and all of our listeners, what was the best day that you've had so far on your entire journey at Styra? Oh yeah, that's uh, that was that's probably an easy one. We just uh, had a, a kickoff kind of event in California, which uh, was well, it was my first time in California. But I think more than that, it was the first time meeting all colleagues. I kind of started, yeah, pretty much when COVID outbreak. So it's been two years at home. Uh, so that was a great that was a great thing, like kind of meeting all. The good people I've been working with for all this time and also all the people who joined since I did. Yeah, that, yeah, that definitely tops it. Very nice. That sounds like an awesome day to celebrate. And so what about, what has been your worst day at Styra so far? <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't say there's been like one worst day, but I think like in my role as a developer advocate, it's a kind of creative process, blogging. Or doing like documentation, talks, so on. I think as in any creative process or any kind of creative effort, you can, you have bad days or you have good days. And sometimes you have bad weeks where you can just, you just sit and stare at your, like your docs or whatever it is you're working on. And there's really not much of value coming out, which is frustrating and it, yeah, so I, I wouldn't say there's been like one worst day, but when you can add, when you're in, into that kind of a period like that's yeah, that's those that are could be draining. That could just, those are just, yeah, definitely uh, draining. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So how about what's your favorite interview question? If you, if you interview folks, do you do interviews? Yeah, I do interviews. We're, we're hiring a, a developer advocate even. So, <laughs> oh, you're hiring a developer, de developer advocate. All right. We are. So if you know anyone, just send it my way. We got the word out now on the podcast. So if any of the listeners are interested. That's great. I, yeah, I, I don't, I, I can't say I have one specific question, but I think like, like talking about pretty much the things you did now, like what's a good day or what's a bad day or like good experiences working with what kind of tended to work in the past and what did mm -hmm. not work mm -hmm. and then trying to determine 
whether that would be a good fit for for the team and so on. I don't really believe in trying to put put anyone against the wall in an interview situation. This, yeah, exactly. I think I think that's like it's important. To so I try and kind of tend to try and keep the conversation as casual as as I can. I, but, uh, okay. but uh, yeah, it's obviously it's hiring is hard. It's so hard, but I think event, at the end of the day, it's like, it's just personality and would this person be like work in, in this group dynamic and so on. Nice. No, I love that. It's important, I think, to sort of melt the tension, like in, in an interview, especially. And my hope always is that candidates, when I'm doing the interview, that candidates are interviewing me as much as they're yeah, definitely much prefer a conversation over a monologue. Yeah, exactly. It's just, it's more enjoyable, I think on both sides and it, it actually helps both sides significantly because then you can pick up like better signal of whether or not it's going to be a fit on the company side, but it's also really important that it's a fit on the individual side too. Yeah, of course. So empowering that person to be able to make the best decision for themselves too. And I, I guess right. that's what, that's what we do. That's what OPA does. So we should too. Yes, exactly. It's an Oracle that says whether or not something <laughs> is, is good. Yes. Allowed or no, not allowed. Yeah. We're not really at the point yet where we can have OPA doing the interviews, but who knows at some point. We no, might. no, maybe at some point in the future, you'll pivot into the AI space and we'll be doing <laughs> the interviews and all sorts of flying airplanes and, and all sorts of other things. <laughs> At the end of the day, what, what is life except for a series of decisions that we make? And if you just want to punch in the policy that you want to live your life by, it could be a very interesting B2C product too, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. We're in the deep end. We're, we're, we're way outside the deep. Okay. So maybe actually speaking of like forward looking ideas, a serious question for you. Like when you look into the future. And you see Styra out there and you OPA, there, there's definitely a future for these projects. But what is one other tool that you see out there in the future that you wish someone would just sit down and build already? A problem that you faced that needs, needs love and it's time to solve it. Oh, it's in the security space or in any space? Oh, any space. This is very open-ended here. All right. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to drop out of the security space for a bit then. Like for very, per, yeah. it's a very personal and a need or want really. But I think like, I kind of, I, I tend to like these apps where you rate things, mm -hmm. but there are just so many of them mm -hmm. and they're all like, they all have their own problems and some of them are better than others, but there's, there's one, I have one app for rating like restaurants. There's one for beers, one for wine. There's, and there's, I just was, wish there was one app where I could rate like anything. And I could get that the data out of there to see like my history of what I rate. I know it's a bit of an unusual request here, but yeah, that's the, I guess that's the thing like I missed the most on my phone. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hear you. I'm constantly, I live in San Francisco and so I'm constantly, I'm, I'm also plant-based. And so it's a little bit tricky to, cause you, you want to make sure that the place that you go is going to have at least like a couple of options for you. So. I'm constantly yeah. like looking at reviews and searching people's review, like, cause when a reviewer leaves comments, like you have a much better shot of getting like in the broad truth, but then Yelp only can go so far and there's other things out there. So I totally resonate with 
I think yeah, even if he, better, better ratings, you know. Yeah. And even like the simple things, like if you go grocery shopping, there's, there's always 20 of anything you can imagine. There's like 20 things to choose from and you have no yeah. idea which one is, which one do people like, and there's really no good way of finding out. So I think that there's a lot of potential there. Or, or even, Hey, I really yeah. like this place. What other places do people that really this place also? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. There's right. Yeah. It, and it doesn't appear to me to be like, this isn't a hard problem. It's just somebody just got to do it. It's, it's time and it's energy and it's work. And I, I'm sure yeah, that yeah. <laughs> there's a lot yeah, of, sure. there's a lot of tricky things underneath the hood as soon as you open up. Oh, for sure. Like, it's not a weekend project. That's for sure. No, maybe not a weekend project, but if anyone has that uh, entrepreneurial spark, it could, it could be a couple of nights and a couple of weekends, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. Let's hope, let's hope someone hears this. And oh, there'll be, th there's definitely people that will be hearing this. Anders, would you like to leave our guests with any parting pearls of wisdom? Oh yeah. That was probably the, the hard question here for, for this interview. I, I. Yeah, of course, if you haven't tried Opower, I'd definitely recommend doing so. There's a pretty good resource from Styra. It's called the Styra Academy, where you can learn the ropes and how to get started. And of course, if, if there's any questions, concerns or whatever, I'd, I'd be happy to help with that. Ning Anders. Like what I do pretty much. We'll put your email in the, in, in the podcast notes. That sounds great. No, thank you so much, Anders. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks, John. I really enjoyed being here. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in to uh, another episode of the Security Podcast in Silicon Valley. Thanks, everyone.